This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Good morning, America. I'm Charles Gibson. I'm Diane Sawyer, and it's Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. It is lunchtime in London, 5 a.m. in Los Angeles, and 8 a.m. here in New York, live from the CNN Financial News headquarters. It is beautiful outside, perfect September day with lots of sunshine. Oh, would you look at Washington, huh? I'm going outside today. And it's kind of quiet around the country. We like quiet. It's quiet. It's too quiet. Yeah. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Apparently a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. It, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just I did not see a plane go in. That that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of absolute Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like oh it is Lord. some sort of a concerted Deliberate. effort to attack the World Trade Center that is under. Well, this is so shocking, of course, to everybody watching. I. I've never seen anything like it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center. The building's exploding right now. you got people running up the street. David, we're gonna, David, we're going to cut you off. President Bush is speaking. Uh, today, we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. And the Pentagon is being evacuated. There is a large fire there, and that is the smoke you see in the shot that you are looking at now. It appears that an aircraft of some sort did hit the side of the Pentagon. Very haunting description that Bob Kerr just gave of that low-flying aircraft near the White House, and one can only wonder if that was something that ultimately ended back. up in the Pentagon. We just saw a live picture of what seemed to be a portion of the building falling away. And some Jamie, people were... Jamie, I need you to stop for a second. There has just been a huge explosion. We can see uh, a billowing smoke rising. And I can't, I'll, I'll tell you that I can't see that second tower, but y there was a cascade of sparks and fire. And now this, it looks almost like a mushroom cloud. Let's go to the trade tower again, because John, we now have a, what do we have? We don't. Wow. It looks like a, a new plume, a new large plume of smoke. Only one tower is standing. The other has collapsed. It Thanks has very much. Collapsed. The whole side has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The building has collapsed. And there's, you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. There are. I turned in time to see uh, what looked like uh, a skyscraper implosion. It looked like it had been done by a demolition crew. The whole thing just collapsing down on itself. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. It was almost as if it were a planned implosion. 
and I turned in time to see uh, what looked like uh, a skyscraper implosion. It looked like it had been done by a demolition crew. The whole thing just collapsing down on itself. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. It was almost as if it were a planned implosion. Hi, my name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. You were just watching a montage of 9-11. Uh, can you remember what you were doing that day? I can. Uh, let me ask my guest, Mike Berger. You are the media coordinator of 911truth.org, is that right? That's correct, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. What were you doing that day before we talk about anything serious? I was actually uh, getting ready to go into work, and a friend of mine called me and asked me to turn on the TV, and the second plane had just flown into one of the towers, and uh, my friend said, uh, who do you think did this? And I said at the time, I, I, I had no idea. In fact, uh, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't the surprise that the United States was attacked just based on our foreign policy and terrorism around the world. It wasn't really a surprise that it was coming to the United States. But the real shock came later in the day, um, hours later when the buildings collapsed and then the third building collapsed, which wasn't hit by a plane. And I kind of went back to sleep. I did didn't really question what was going on. Um, when I had seen the video, the original video, the first time when the plane hit uh, the South Tower, I I just thought that the building swallowed a 757, yeah. wiggled a little bit, and nothing happened, which was remarkable. Um, and then at the end of the day at 520, when Building 7 came down, uh, that was a different story, but I kind of put it out of my mind and went on with my life. I was running a business and working crazy hours at the time. Uh, but uh, years later, 2003, I was doing some research on the Internet and stumbled upon people saying 9-11 was an inside job, yeah. questioning whether or not members of the government were involved. And when I saw them claiming that there were financial trades made where people profited from this and obviously sophisticated investors had to have had foreknowledge, I figured this would be easy to debunk. So I went to the Chicago Board of Options exchange site. They had free charts and data, started looking up all of the airlines to see what the bets were that the stock prices would collapse. Mm. And it was strange that only United and American had had enormous spikes in volume the very few weeks before 9-11, but not Delta, another major American airline, not Southwest. And then the pattern repeated with the financial services firms that had numerous floors in both towers. And the financial press around the world caught on to this right away, wrote about it, said, obviously, all these trades can be traced back to the person who initiated them. So we're going to know who these people were. And of course, that never happened like so many things. One of one piece of evidence, for example, for destruction of evidence is that uh, the uh, the SEC, somebody filed a frequent uh, a FOIA request at the SEC, and this was a mainstream journalist. 
and uh, he had requested the records on those trades, and the response from the SEC is those records were destroyed. Okay. Now, that, that was the beginning of a pattern of destroyed evidence to begin with. Yeah, so I just want to say that when you speak about FCC, etc., you must assume that um, my audience might not know uh, okay. what that means. Fair enough. And before I go any further, I know it's early in the day for you. What's, what's the time? Three o'clock there, your side? Uh, two. Two o'clock. So it's it's past nine o'clock here. So you'll you'll forgive me for having a strong whiskey because this conversation requires such. I <laughs> skull. <laughs> um. So your your history is is not structural engineering. You're just somebody who's a business owner, uh, who has an inquiring mind and, and decided to investigate this extensively over the years. Yeah, I mean. Once I, once I, once I had to rethink everything mm. I believed, uh, when I saw the put options that led to other articles and then very quickly, another pattern, uh, emerged, which mm. was as I was reading mainstream media or now referred to as legacy media articles, mm. they would disappear after a few weeks. So I would start saving them and backing everything up. And, uh, Later in that year, one of the family members came out and spoke in Kansas City. Uh, oddly enough, Kansas City, Missouri, had one of the largest 9-11 activist groups in the country in 2003, which is a little strange. But uh, Ellen Mariani and her attorney came out and spoke. That's where I met a lot of the activists in Kansas City. And that's how I got involved in what is known as the truth movement. And by 2004, I went to two different international conferences, one in San Francisco and one in Toronto. And then I just kept digging. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, except except if you question the narrative. Because the moment the moment you have questions, you're a conspiracy theorist and you're a nutcase. You must never ask questions, Mike. It's very true. I, I will say I did lose a lot of friends mm. um, when they would ask me what I was doing, and I would tell them, and then they would egg me on and ask me, uh, you know, give me a couple of points. What are you seeing? And a uh, the, for one of the first things I would bring up was Building Seven. Nobody had nobody had ever seen yes, the video. Yes, yes, that's that's the one that, that that got me. Yeah, and when they see that, um, some of them would turn pale and say, "Well, if they did that in broad daylight in the middle of the street, like you said, they did. What do you think they're going to do to you?" Um, but I I I have a questioning mind and my own curiosity. I eventually I had I had to be able to figure out for myself what happened because my worldview was entirely torn apart Yeah. once I started to realize that not only were we being lied to, uh, we were being manipulated. Yeah. And then the question would be, for what end? And, I mean, I can guarantee you that pretty much 100% of everybody watching right now can remember that day. So it's not as though we're talking about something that in the, that's in the distant past. We all remember seeing it, excepting it was just at different times of the day. For for me, I think it was around about two o'clock, two two or three o'clock. I can't quite remember, uh, and um, and the whole world basically shut down that day. Uh, every everybody switched on to CNN when CNN was still somewhat trustworthy, um, and uh, but let's just quickly let's just quickly recap. Okay, so it all started as a normal day, then suddenly a plane hit the one tower. And uh, and then there was what I think was it fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, and another plane hit the other tower, right? 
Right. Yeah. The first plane hits the North Tower. Um, there were a French documentary crew. The Naudet brothers were filming a documentary at the time with the New York Fire Department. They were out on the street on a call for a gas leak. And that's the famous footage of the first plane hitting the North Tower. The yeah. cameraman pans up because you don't hear low flying planes in Manhattan. So it was that strange that he panned up and happened to catch that first impact. And then, yeah, uh, yeah the second plane hits the South Tower. And then again, another one of these oddities is the tower that was hit last, the South Tower that burned for a shorter period of time, collapsed first. Well, before that, before either of them collapsed, they were burning and then news struck of what? The Pentagon being being hit by a plane. Right, which happened uh, roughly 9.30 something. And then the question with the Pentagon issue is that much after what happened in New York, how could anything hit the Pentagon? How right. could it be undefended? So what was the time? Okay, so I just want to get the, the chronology right. So what was the time, the, the gap between the, the Twin Towers and the Pentagon? Uh, almost an hour, hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes, roughly. They were still the standing. Plane to the Pentagon. Oh, no, no. Uh, the towers, I think, stood for a little bit over, I'd have to go look it up. Uh, mm. It's been a while to go over every detail. I don't have the minute-by-minute chronology and then, memorized anymore. <laughs> and then there was another, uh, 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 sorry, a third plane that crashed. Yeah, Flight 93 uh, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, but that was after the Pentagon, I believe. That was like 10.03. So basically of 9.37, I think, at the Pentagon or something like that, and then another 20 minutes elapses, and Flight 93 crashes in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And during this entire unfolding event, our trillion-dollar defense apparatus failed to intercept, and I'm not saying shoot down, failed to intercept a single plane mm. on a day without a cloud in the sky, and yet... Uh, these same people who later claimed that their radar was looking outward um, bragged about how many drug interdiction missions they flew. So in other words, they could find planes within the continental United States evading radar, trying to smuggle drugs in small planes. But on 9-11, they couldn't find four jetliners. Now, one of the one of the reasons why I happen to go to the hearings, some of the hearings in 2004, the commission hearings, and on the air defense hearings, I thought it was very interesting, because this was televised and is on the public record, that the military, that the Defense Department acknowledged that they were running multiple exercises that morning, mm. some of which mimicked the attacks, and on public record, they acknowledged that they were interjecting false radar returns on air traffic controllers screens that morning and when asked by the commissioners when did you uh, stop those exercises uh the answer the response was well i'll have to check and then the question was well was this before or after the pentagon was hit and basically they they acknowledged they were still interjecting false radar returns even uh by the time the pentagon was hit so the people who were tasked with defending us um, didn't have a chance because even their own systems, their traffic controllers were following planes that phantom planes that didn't exist in many cases mm. 
which is why they still thought Flight 11 and 175 were still airborne after the towers had been hit. And just and just to be clear, this was all meticulously planned by a guy living in a cave with a laptop and an old Nokia cell phone. And who had just had dialysis. Yes. Right, right. He's, okay. He's very, very powerful. And uh, he was formerly a CIA asset. Right. And I say formerly in quotes. Just coincidentally. Um, yes. And let's just also put this on the record. Um, you're not some fringe lunatic. There are, at least that I know of, about 3,000 engineers, structural engineers, demolition experts, uh, scientists, all kinds of people uh, who are on the same page who question the official story. Well, yeah. The First, the official story is much bigger than the buildings. Uh, but you have architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth who have now literally got thousands of licensed working architects and engineers who have been willing to risk their careers and academics who've been willing to risk their careers who've looked at the evidence. You recently had a study in the University of Alaska Fairbanks where they took the data on the collapses, uh, modeled it, and demonstrated that the buildings could not have collapsed from airplane impacts and fires alone. Okay, so the only way to deal with this conversation is to break it up because one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that about seven hours after the Twin Towers fell, another building just suddenly collapsed, Building 7. And it, and it, well, had, a, and it had a bunch of fires, office fires. Yes, and, and again, I, I, wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say suddenly because there's plenty of footage out there of different people in, New, in lower Manhattan clearing the area, announcing that the building was going to come down. In fact, the BBC was broadcasting live from lower Manhattan, and Gene Stanley is standing in front of a big plate glass window, and the towers are smoldering. They're gone. Smoke's rising. Building 7 is above, I believe it was her left shoulder, behind her on the left, her right shoulder. And she's saying She's announcing that this building had collapsed. Building 7, which was also um, standing behind her as she announces that the building had collapsed. It was also known as the Solomon Brothers building. And then literally seconds before the building collapses, the BBC uh, anchor in London says, we've lost the feed from New York. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, by the way, 911truth.org, actually, when we found that footage online, we actually confirmed with the BBC the time code on the footage right. and that it was a live event, not that this happened earlier in the day. Right. And a, and a dude in the Middle East with a laptop and a cell phone used two airplanes and took down three buildings. That's pretty impressive. Let's start. Let's start. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and stood down the entire U.S. military. So let's start at Building 7, because that's the one that, that, that has been bothering me for years. This building that just hours, many hours later, just falls like an artwork. It just beautifully collapses. Um, yeah. You know, absolutely nothing wrong with that with that collapse. It doesn't, it doesn't fall to the side, nothing. It just... You even heard in the in the opening video that the that the commentators on TV were saying it was as if it was a planned demolition. Now let's start at Building Seven. Talk me through this. Well, I, all right. So 
Building 7 was a conventional steel frame high-rise, 47 stories, 520 feet. Uh, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. It was the height of the tallest building. One of the most fascinating things about the building, you can measure it. You can go on YouTube and Google David Chandler, who has an excellent video, where he demonstrated that the speed of the collapse is nearly at free fall. Uh, first, in the history of steel frame skyscrapers in the United States for over 100 years, there's not a single example of a steel frame structure that has collapsed due to fire. In Madrid, there was a building that burned for 24 hours. They were building it. There was a crane on the roof of the steel structure. It burned for over 20 hours. The outer shell, the windows, the cladding fell off the building. The crane and the steel structure remained intact after 20 hours mm. of burning plus. Uh, building uh, Meridian Fire, there are, there are plenty of examples of steel frame skyscrapers burning for 10, 20 times longer than the skyscrapers in Manhattan and not failing. So building seven did have large fires in it uh, because it was built across the street from the World Trade Center complex and was actually developed by Larry Silverstein. It was privately owned. Uh, it, was, it was unique in the set of tenants that it had in the building, had the second largest covert CIA office in the United States. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission that investigates and uh, polices uh, the financial markets, stocks in particular, at the time of 9-11, we had just had a financial collapse. The tech bubble had collapsed almost a year before, and the investigations and records into Enron, WorldCom, etc. were in Building 7. Uh, the IRS, DOD, Secret Service... So this was a very, very secure building. Because of this, the owner, Silverstein, and the tenants got a waiver from New York City. They had diesel generators on several floors and diesel storage tanks. When the final report was issued to explain why that building collapsed, uh, people who had been investigating it assumed that the government agencies involved in the investigations were going to quickly point to these diesel fuel fires, say that they weakened the steel structure. And yet they didn't. What they actually said was that it was due to plain office fires. Again, never happened before, never happened since. And even more odd, in my opinion, was that uh, somebody had asked the lead investigator at the final um, press conference when they announced the results, Shyam Sunder, uh, whether or not they tested the physical evidence for Building 7 for thermite or uh, explosives. And his answer was really telling. And this was covered by the New York Times, word for word. Shyam Sunder said if, uh, if it, we, had, we did not test for explosives, because if explosives had been used, there would have been hundreds of eyewitnesses who would have reported hearing explosions. It would have been his words, like standing in front of the speakers at a rock concert. It would have been so loud, everybody would have noticed it, and there's no record of those eyewitnesses. To me, what's uh, even more fascinating than that tale is that the New York Times published this word for word, and the reason that I find that intriguing is the New York Times sued the city of New York <laughs> to make public the oral testimonies of all the first responders New York City interviewed the paramedics, Port Authority, police, fire, ambulance, EMS, and those oral histories were not released until the New York Times sued to make them public and publish them. 
So in other words, the paper of record in the United States, the New York Times, forgot that it had the evidence that contradicted the statement they were publishing by the lead investigator from this, that there were no eyewitnesses when, in fact, the New York Times had sued to get those testimonies, which confirmed uh, that there were plenty of eyewitnesses who compared it to Las Vegas demolitions. So you have free fall. And as you pointed out, it was one of the most symmetrical collapses in the history of the world. In fact, the first government report by FEMA said that the footprint of the collapse was within 75 feet of its footprint. Yeah. If you look at some of the pictures, uh, for example, see if this is it. That's seven at the beneath me. That's the pile. And if you notice the building standing behind it, that was an old post office building. The rubble stops at the sidewalk. The reason I know that is in a 2006 film I did called Improbable Collapse. Um, I have included footage in that. That was shot the night of 9-11 by, uh, by an average New York guy who was grabbed on the street by a very famous ABC News personality and because he had a high 8 video camera. Mm. They dressed him up in medical scrubs, handed him bottles of water, told him to hide his <clears throat> camera, and this news reporter and her producer walked into Ground Zero, handed out bottles of water that night, took him to the corner where that building is and the pile was, and told him to film south towards where the World Trade Centers once stood. And what you can see clearly in the footage is the building debris stops in the street at the sidewalk. So if you didn't need demolition crews to bring a building down like that at free fall, perfectly symmetrically, as you pointed out, which also is a problem mm. because the building had a cantilevered construction because it was built over a Con Edison electrical grid. So the fact, and if you go again by what the government says, where the collapse initiated, which you can see in the video on the penthouse on the right part of the building, one would assume that that would fall in the direction of where the collapse initiates, and that didn't happen. Yeah, and uh, uh, the NIST or NIST, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, they were the group that released the official report, not so. They, they were the group that did the second investigation. So first, on Building 7, first FEMA did what they called a BPAT study. And in the original FEMA report, they were the ones who said the building fell within 75 feet of its footprint. They also pointed out and included pictures of what they called a eutectic structure in the steel that they could not explain. In other words, something had eroded the steel while the building collapsed. So they were at least honest enough to include that in their report. Then many, many years later, the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, NIST, came out with the final report that I had mentioned. Uh, Shyam Sunder held the press conference to announce that in the history of the world, the only steel frame building to ever collapse from a regular office fire. Um, that was the method. And again, what was more, um, to me, more challenging is how many people worldwide live or work in a high-rise office building. Mm. This means if somebody accidentally sets fire to a garbage can or something catches on fire, those buildings, one would imagine, are going to collapse. Yeah, I mean, th- there was no jet fuel. This was just desks and paper burning, really. 
and computers. Well, there was there was diesel. A little there bit of diesel, small. yeah. There was a lot of diesel. There was a lot I of diesel. But I, not, I interviewed James. Oh, but not from the planes, though. Not from the planes, though, right? Oh, no, from the storage tank. From the, the storage tank. Yeah, okay. they, had, they had the waiver. And I interviewed uh, James Joyce, who was the FDNY's lead training person. He was in the sub-basement of Seven before it collapsed. And he had told me there were at least 10-plus thousand gallons of diesel there. And again, Seven was damaged on the south side by the debris from the north tower it gouged a hole in the south face of seven but as you pointed out again if the structure is weakened on the south face why doesn't it fall in the direction of the alleged weakness yeah it doesn't it doesn't it it just falls completely symmetrically and not Straight just that down. not just that it, it doesn't pancake it it free falls and i think it's i think it's under seven seconds yeah, it's a seven two or something like that. It's basically it's free fall, and you can't uh, destroy the steel with a fire sufficiently that a the building isn't going to tip over and collapse in the mm. direction of weakness. So in other words, you have to cut the steel structure. The only way you can do that is with a thermitic material, and it has to be pre-planned, and it has to be done months in advance. Yeah. And not let's just also not exclude the, the, the fact that people on the ground heard explosions. Oh, yes. And, and honestly, in evidence that was gathered and sampled and tested, for example, this piece from the South Tower was tested and there was thermite residue on it. Uh, people went to steel that was shipped to memorials around the United States, scraped the steel, gathered samples, those were tested. They had thermite on them. And an artist who lived across the street from the South Tower, her windows in the building she lived in were blown in by the impact of the collapse of the South Tower. And everything in her apartment was covered in inches and layers of dust. Uh, we got a sample of that dust from the New York 9-11 Truth Group. And that sample was tested. Not only did it have thermitic paint chips in it, so a form of paintable thermite. It also had iron microspheres. So in other words, between the time of the fires and the building's collapse of the South Tower, something converted steel to iron. And that chemical reaction is the reaction you get when you use thermite to cut steel for a building demolition. And in fact, the light gray smoke that you see coming off the building. So uh, let me find another one for you, another picture. So here's uh, seven in the foreground behind me. And if you look behind my shoulder, you can actually see the inner core of, of one of the towers standing with smoke coming off those steel rungs. I believe that's evidence for thermite. Again, this, this is my opinion, except for the fact that FEMA report acknowledged something had eroded the steel in samples they found. The iron BBs, microspheres, that were found in the dust from the sample can only be explained by a chemical reaction as opposed to a freefall pancaking collapse. But we know that that building seven didn't pancake. It just fell as one, as right. one, as one unit. 
Right. Now, we, I was referring to what we found in the dust from the South Tower. But yes, seven, again, seven was a conventional steel frame building, unlike the towers. So it came down as any demolition would. Yes. Straight down within its footprint, synchronously and very quickly. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but th- the city immediately went in and cleaned up the debris without allowing forensic investigation. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, not only you know, a lot of the stuff was uh, trucked to Fresh Kills Landfill and sorted by the FBI, much of the scrap was actually sold to China. They made a battleship out of it. It was recycled. Uh, there were many people, forensic fire engineers, one of them appears in, in probable collapse, who specifically was outraged. It's like uh, throwing away the evidence from the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. There was no need to rush to throw out the debris, and that's what they did. Uh, Some of it was kept in a hangar um, at JFK or on on Long Island. Um, That material was given out to cities around the country for memorials, and some of it went to the museums. So it's not like all the evidence has been destroyed, but they certainly uh, made the cleanup very quick. And because of the security nature of Building 7, that was handled by one single contractor, the cleanup, and it was a secure site. All right, so so where we are right now is that Building 7 looks like a clean demolition. With I mean, it just does not look like a building that kind of crumbled to the side and fell and got weakened structures. Everything had to have weakened at the same time. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, it's probably one of the best demolitions on record. And and just to get a 500-foot building to fall within 75 feet of its footprint is actually quite an accomplishment. um, Someone in the comments says the steel is still there and has been used for memorials. Yeah, that's that's why I said we got some samples from that. Steel is still in museums in New York City. Honestly. Many of the people who volunteered at Ground Zero still have samples of the steel as well. Mm. Um, I, look, I, look there are obviously comments coming in, as you would expect, saying that you're speaking nonsense and it's all conspiracy theories and people will believe anything. But isn't that ironic that you aren't allowed to ask questions about the official narrative? Okay, so in other words, you must believe the government story and that's that. Any... Any questioning of it means that you are a conspiracy theorist. It just, I mean, you watch the video. Anybody can go onto YouTube right now and type in Building 7 and go and watch that. And from the bottom Please. of your heart, but from the bottom of your heart, you tell me that that, that that is a building that just collapsed because of um, fires. And it collapses completely symmetrically, perfectly. And, and it free falls in under seven seconds with no pancaking whatsoever. It just... Well, it, it's nuts. Look, the, the greatest challenge to making the world work for more people is you can only change what is. And the mind is so is such a powerful filter. Yeah. We, you know, the, the consciousness, our minds filter out a great deal of the data that the brain receives because we just can't handle it all. We can't take it all in. But here's an irony to this to the people who say I'm talking nonsense and they believe that their eyes are lying to them when they see a building collapse at freefall 
and they can't explain it, but anybody who questions it's out of their mind. Yeah. Um, the thing is, denial is incredibly powerful, but, but, a, but a strange paradox exists. You cannot block out something unless it's part of your map. In other words, if you already don't have it as part of your own mental map, then reality is going to poke through and hit you in the face. You're only able to suppress those realities if you actually have a pretty accurate map. In other words, mm. in the back of most of our mind, there's a part of us that knows what we're looking at yeah. and knows we're lied to. But the consequence of questioning it for us as individuals, for us as uh, a nation or as different societies, the consequences are ridicule standing alone and pointing out a fact that is so inconvenient and so painful. Another thing that nobody, you know, that we didn't bring up yet and, and that people don't deal with, as you pointed out all over the world, within 24 hours, people sat glued to their television, watching this happen over and over again. When I was first doing interviews for Improbable Collapse in 2005, and I would ask people what they remember from that day, Almost every individual, 90% of them, started out by saying it was like a movie. Mm. Everybody was put into a trance, and everybody was traumatized to a greater or lesser degree. And I do not believe that we have ever dealt with that trauma, You know, at least in the United States when it comes to this issue. The country yeah. still suffers from PTSD, which enables your abuser <laughs> to get away with more. In other words, if nobody's ever held accountable, look, it doesn't matter to me if you believe that it was an inside job and people in the government may have been complicit, or if you believe they were just radically incompetent. Mm. Somebody has to be held accountable. And since nobody was held accountable, and my own personal belief is nobody will ever be held accountable, as you can tell, the people who rule have no boundaries. Yeah. They will take advantage of any crisis. So, for example, um, at the very least, my take is, at least with COVID, this is another crisis that's being taken advantage of to extend power yeah. and to, to get people to get very comfortable Ooh. with submitting to Don't what the whole reality is. Don't you dare. You, you're a conspiracy theorist. The moment, the, moment, the moment you say anything about COVID that goes against the official narrative... Uh, I know this because I've been speaking about uh, about the um, control aspect of this for months now. And months ago, I was told that I'm a conspiracy theorist. Well, as it turns out, a lot of what I was saying six months ago is turning out to be true. But anyway, we're not talking about that. Um, so, and I just, I want to touch on one more thing because, you know, people are very familiar with the meme 9-11 is an inside job. Yeah. But I don't think most people understand the double meaning of it because nobody talks about it. The inside job is what's going on between your ears and behind your eyes. That's the inside mm. job. If you're unwilling or unable to see it, and the only response you have is to attack people who question, mm. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm raising questions that are apparently hitting a nerve. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't criticize what I'm saying. And if you're a thinking, questioning, curious person, investigate it all yourself. That's why we have a website, 911truth.org to have yeah. a historic record not controlled by a government agency, not, not controlled by mainstream media. So there's a structural engineer in the comments saying that he can explain how the building would fall symmetrically. But before... before At free fall speed, add that in. Well, yes, but 
But let me just also say that, and I've watched interviews with uh, literally hundreds of, of engineers who, who, who say that you can't explain it. So who's correct? Because it's now one structural engineer up against another structural engineer. You see, so actually, but again, look, let's let's bring this back to the average person's reality. Yeah, your eyes don't lie. You're watching a building fall in free fall. If you can explain to me how the steel disintegrates so that it doesn't support any structure and it just turns to jello, please be my guest. Right. But if you can't, then you have to examine your belief system and why you think your eyes are lying to you. Well, let's let's do the unthinkable, Mike. Okay. Let's do the unthinkable and let's go across the road to the right. to the twin towers. That's the one conversation I I my the hair on my arm stands up because it's just it's so it's so creepy. But let's let's now go to that. And we had we saw the footage, an aeroplane flies into the one building and an aeroplane flies into the other building. Right. Talk talk me through this. Well, uh, you know, for one, the first thing you see is at least in the South Tower, an awful lot of the jet fuel goes up into a fireball outside of the building. Second, the buildings actually had a baffling system within them because they were built with the notion since you're around four, three major airports, JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark, etc. It's a heavily air traffic corridor. The notion that a plane in a storm might fly into that building like one did in World War II uh, into the Empire State Building, but a commercial jetliner, the building was engineered to withstand that. Uh, there's a clip in Improbable Collapse with one of the engineers from Israel describing the building. It's as if it's an aluminum can. You can poke a hole in the outer shell, but the can is not going to collapse. And in the case of the, the towers, as you can see behind me, it wasn't a hollow building. It had an enormously massive mm. steel core that went all the way to the top of the building. So again, how, where, does, where does that material go? How can it come down that quickly based on jet fuel fires? And because of the baffling system, that those jet fuel fires could not spread throughout the building. So again, for people who are curious, do your research, go to YouTube and look up a gentleman named Philip Morelli, M-O-R-R-E-L-I. Uh, NY1, a local New York TV station interviewed him. He was a maintenance worker in the, in the towers. He was there on that morning. He was in one of the sub-basements and he describes his experience in the sub-basement. He's in a machine room with presses and some heavy thing, there's an explosion. He right away assumes that a piece of heavy equipment was dropped on the loading dock one floor above him. When he goes out of the room he's in, the presses are gone. The sub-basement walls, concrete walls of him imploded, and there are people screaming with shrapnel wounds and their skin hanging off their bones. So there were explosions in the basement. He helps people out. Unfortunately, they had to go through the subterranean passages to the South Tower. By the time they make it into the South Tower, the same thing happens again. So you can go listen to, again, his eyewitness account. These are not my words. I don't make it up. These are true stories told by the people who were there. 
if you if you find this discomforting, look, I don't think the truth is for everybody. I honestly don't. I, I think there are people who do not have a temperament to deal with this because it does cause a great deal of trauma to change your worldview, to think that the people who you entrust who claim they're there to protect and defend you are actually um, not competent or complicit in doing anything other than that, uh, it turns your world upside down. And I don't think uh, the truth is for everybody, but if you think you have the tolerance and you want to see what is, it's only from that perspective that you're able to change what is into what you want. But from denial, you have no power. Yeah, so so just going back to what actually happened, uh, Mike. So the the planes hit, and the jet fuel supposedly melted both buildings, essentially. Yeah, which, right, which is impossible because it couldn't spread. Second, the majority of the jet fuel blew up in the fireballs you see outside the building. Second, uh, the, the planes were actually not fully loaded with fuel. Third, because they had very, very low passenger loads that morning. Uh, and then they burned for a little bit over an hour. And then, for example, the South Tower, which was hit second, collapsed first. But what most people are unaware of is at minimum two firefighters who were marathon runners got all the way up to where the fires were. And we have a recording of their radio communications down from the top of the towers where they said uh, the, the fires are relatively small. We only need two lines and we can put them out. And moments later, the building comes down. But we have those recordings. So the story we're told, for example, another way of looking at it is we're told this is a pancake gravity induced collapse. The top sections slammed the lower sections. The problem with that is the speed. Second. Yeah. So hang on, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So I know I'm going really fast. So you've got the building, the plane hits near the top and then the, 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 the top but starts falling in like that, right? And then the well, whole thing... the South Tower, actually, if you look at the photos, the top section actually breaks away from the building and starts tilting away from it and then starts going straight down. It's, uh, it, it, it actually moved away from the building on the South Tower collapse. And both buildings fell at free fall speed. Again, nearly free fall speed, yes. Now, the towers were not conventional steel frame skyscrapers. To build buildings that tall with the technology and design they had at the time, you needed a heck of a, an infrastructure um, to hold up those buildings. So part of what you're seeing, the other issue is, if you look at some of the videos, look at the horizontal ejection of those massive steel beams. Where is the energy coming to shoot them out? I, I spoke with uh, David Chandler yesterday for the first time. He did an analysis that some of those beams are coming out of that building at 60 miles an hour from the top horizontally. Second, yeah, like that. If it's, it's coming out like that. Yeah, but at the top, literally, steel, massive steel beams are shooting out horizontally at 60 miles an hour. Pieces of building, not just the squibs or the smoke. Um, second... If it's a, a gravity-driven collapse, you can't conserve the mass of the building and create the layers of pulverized building that covered Manhattan because that has to diminish the mass. In other words, if you have this massive thing pile-driving the building, 
than what pulverized all the concrete and spread it all over lower Manhattan inches thick. You can't have it both ways. In other words, you can't have the mass and create the powder. So again, these are not true aspects of how those buildings came down. It can't explain, again, the lateral ejections. It can't explain the photo behind me of a smoldering car. In other words, it's like a record, old-fashioned record player. The structure collapsed around and off the core of the building. And if you, you can see behind me, the core structure stood there frozen in time, like the roadrunner in a cartoon before he looks down and sees there's no cliff. And then it literally just fell down in pieces. It didn't fall over and collapse. Again, <laughs> an improbable collapse. I interviewed a journalist who walked the length of Manhattan to get to ground zero on the day of Manhattan when it happened on the day of 9-11. And he expected to see that core on the ground like a tree stump. And he said when he got there, there was no core. It had just fallen apart like toothpicks. Mike, I... I don't want to I don't want to even start thinking that that was demolition. Okay. <laughs> Again, it just look, seems I, it I, just I, seems too it seems too way out. I mean, maybe, but 9/11 is uh, the only way I can describe it after you start digging. It is a mega crime. It is also a crime that not only uh, we witnessed a mass murder before our eyes, for which nobody was ever held accountable, it also covered up many, many other crimes. For example, uh, you've got Donald Rumsfeld the day before 9-11, holds a press conference and announces that uh, the result of a Pentagon audit, they can't find, you know, just a couple bucks, $2.3 trillion. That story disappeared. And not only not only did the story disappear, but what would, what did we do after 9/11? We gave the Pentagon contractors unlimited amounts of money with no oversight, no accountability. And if you look into it and try to FOIA records, you're stopped based on state secrets privilege mm. and national security grounds. And you can you can watch the video on our website. It's on the homepage, top 40 reasons of Rumsfeld telling the press. They couldn't find $2.3 trillion. Not an insignificant sum of money, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's quite a lot. And yet, at the same time, one of the, again, many paradoxes of 9-11, or as, should we say, coincidences, the wedge of the Pentagon that was struck by Flight 77. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> which had just been renovated with a Kevlar skin and bomb-proof windows. The people who were put in that wedge were the very accountants that Rumsfeld had announced the results of their audit. So if you look at the casualty list from the Pentagon and you wonder why a lot of them were accountants, now you know why. Why Al-Qaeda or Osama really wanted to take out the auditors, I don't know. Hmm. But of um, course, I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. None of this is true and it can't ever be verified. Um, I, I, I want to carry on, but I, I want to ask you if, you if you can give me a bit more of your time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. Because, because otherwise, you're not. Pleasure. Um, because we don't. You we... can't even. You can't dent the surface of this thing. No, I know. Really. No, it, I know. Which is also part of the challenge, I think, for mm. why people can't grasp it. Because the 
the immensity of it, just to put things in perspective, I've researched over 10,000 plus hours. Most people do not have that kind of time. Uh, and that was 16 years ago when you could still get a lot of mainstream media reports that were true. Um, now, if you try to do this research, you're going to spend most of your time trying to figure out what's disinformation, misinformation, yes. and you'll be very frustrated, which is, again, why many of us in the truth movement believe that at this point in time, our priority is to amass the historic record for future generations. Personally, like you've had in your country, I would like to see a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm. But I, I don't I don't hold my breath for that either, because I, I don't think these the, the members of this uh, administration are going to be around long enough to sit well, down for the just for the just for the record, our Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a bit of a farce. <laughs> well, I, I imagine ours would be too. Yes. Um, okay, so hang on a sec. I want to go back to the Twin Towers. Uh, this is such a yo, it's such a big topic that I, I I feel that I'm not doing justice by by kind of switching between uh, the different parts of the story, but sure. you kind of have to. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. so you've so let's just recap. You've got. You've got the, the Twin Towers. Planes flew into them. They weren't missiles, nothing weird like that. They were planes with people on and board. They, and they were those commercial planes with those passengers on board. Yes. So so that so, so let me give you or so another aspect of this relates to the black boxes, which are indestructible. So in two thousand and three, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking in the background to try to find the black box, but here's an example of a hard drive from ground zero we'll get to. But basically, uh, in 2003, a firefighter named Nicholas DeMasi, and an honorary firefighter, he was not a firefighter, he was made one for his uh, work at Ground Zero in the cleanup, named Mike Ballone, um, were involved with the chiefs asking uh, Nick DeMasi, who set up an ATV unit so they could get uh, torches and rebar cutters around the site when they were trying to recover firefighters' bodies from the rubble of the towers, he took federal agents around the FBI with the equipment to locate the black boxes. In 2003, a year before the commission report came out, uh, they had self-published a book, First Person Stories from Ground Zero. It's called Behind the Scenes Ground Zero. And in it, Nick DeMasi tells his story of loading up millions of dollars of equipment into the back of an ATV, getting into the ATV with the agents, going uh, down the ramp backwards by accident. He said everything was okay, and uh, we located and recovered three of the four black boxes. Separately, uh, a journalist in Philadelphia had an associate who was a part of the National Transportation Safety Board, which listens to those black boxes. Independently, he corroborated off the record that those black boxes were brought to him by the FBI, and he listened to them. And then a year later, in 2004, when the official commission report came out in a footnote, they explicitly mentioned that none of the four black boxes from either flight that hit the towers were recovered because each plane has a flight data recorder and a cockpit voice recorder. So one would wonder what was on, what data was on there that they needed to make disappear because we know that data those boxes were recovered and we know that people at the ntsb listened to it so again 
these demolitions were part of much larger crimes. In fact, the hard drive you see behind me was a hard drive that was recovered from the rubble. Federal agents were dispatched not, not only just to look for survivors, but to pick up hard drives. These hard drives were sent to a company in Germany called Convar. At the time, again, 18 years ago, they had a special blue laser technology which allowed them to recover this data. The data they claimed on their website, 100% of the data from these hard drives was recovered, sent to the FBI. None of this is ever mentioned anywhere in the official reports. And those hard drives contained financial transactions that were allegedly pushed through the computer systems in the towers between the impact times and the times of collapse where lots of money transferred hands. So again, this is a much bigger crime than most people can even imagine, let alone comprehend. And whenever you pull on a single loose thread, you get about a thousand more. And the official narrative completely dissolves. And again, everything I'm telling you can be verified. The company's name is C-O-N-V-A-R. Of course, they're no longer in business. They were bought out. But there, are, there were videos of them recovering the data and showing off in the news that they sent 100% of the data to the FBI. Lest we forget, Mike, that these planes flew into the buildings and the buildings came crashing down, just about nothing was left. It was just dust and rubble, but they got passports. Well, yes, you did have the magic passport that was found on the street. That is true. Um, and we were supposed to believe that one of the alleged hijackers, uh, somewhat singed but readable passport, was found on the ground. Um, they were still finding pieces of the towers in the ground in between buildings years later. Uh, pieces of the plane. So, again... A, this is an it's just an incomprehensible story on so many levels um so where where do you want to go from here jeremy all right my mind is broken at the moment i i you can see i've finished my whiskey <laughs> uh, too early for me to join you at the moment <laughs> Um, all right, I need to now move on. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're going to be until next week. Mike, the other one that gets me every single time is what kind of pilot must you be to fly a plane almost on ground level and into the Pentagon? Man, you got to be good. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, the alleged pilot of 77, Ani Hanjour, couldn't fly a Cessna, and his instructor basically, his instructor told him, um, you need to learn English, and then I'll let you take the controls of the plane. So to believe that these guys uh, trained in flight schools to fly these planes and were able to fly them the way they did, especially Flight 77 along the ground, uh, is incomprehensible. Now, I can't say definitively who was flying these planes, However, a researcher named Aidan Monahan uh, filed a F Freedom of Information Act request with Boeing 
and was able to get the documentation that changing the flight plans on those era planes was as simple as uploading a new flight plan. Uh, then you have uh, a spinoff from the X-Files known as The Lone Gunman, played on Fox, the pilot episode, six months before, nine, four months before 9-11, that actually demonstrates the entire plot of 9-11. It shows a hijacked commercial airliner flying south towards the World Trade Centers, and the pilots are not in control of the plane. So the characters on the ground have to unlock the controls so the pilots can avert disaster of hitting the North Tower. That aired on Fox less than six months before 9-11. So again, when you have somebody like the National Security Advisor, Condoleezza Rice, who came out after 9-11 and said, nobody could have imagined, or you have George Bush saying this was unimaginable, you had the military wargaming the exact hijackings that morning and previously. You had an exercise at the Pentagon called a mass casualty exercise of a plane hitting the Pentagon before 9-11. They absolutely knew this was a possibility. Uh, in fact, this was a document that was sent out in September of 2000 with a target on the towers and the term WMD. When was that sent? September of 2000. No. A year before 9-11. This report came out. I mean, there, again, Jeremy, I could do this forever. I could keep pulling up a million different documents and, and just demonstrate how much they actually knew. And some of the audio clips that I usually play, uh, there was an interview with a Missouri congressman named Ike Skelton, who was on the Armed Services Committee. And after the Pentagon is hit, oddly enough, nobody in Washington did anything to warn anybody in the Capitol or Congress to get out of the building. It's only after the Pentagon is hit that they all start running. And on the steps of the Capitol, David Wellman of NPR asks him, you know, were you, were, was there any uh, thought that this might happen? And, and Ike Skelton says, yeah, George Tenet had just been up here on the Hill telling us his hair is on fire, that we're in danger of an imminent attack. And yet all the people in the administration on that morning who were responsible for defending the United States were AWOL. Every single person in the national military chain of command was able. They didn't do a thing to respond to the unfolding attacks. Donald Rumsfeld was walking around outside the Pentagon, allegedly helping put people on stretchers rather than mounting a defense. This is unimaginable. If this would have happened anywhere else, heads would have rolled there would have been real investigations, but not here. This was covered up, actively covered up by commissioners on the 9-11 Commission who outright had conflicts of interest. <clears throat> and I might be all over the place, but I want to jump to something, for example, back to the towers and the planes. Um, why weren't any of those planes intercepted? So the one of the co-chairmen, uh, Thomas Kane, who was a Republican, uh, former governor of New Jersey, was asked about some F-16s that were on a routine training mission off the Pine Barrens, the coast of New Jersey, literally less than six minutes flight time from lower Manhattan. They were in the air training on a bombing run. 
why weren't they tasked with going to New York to try to visually intercept those planes? And he said, uh, we would answer that in the commission report. Of course, they actually pretended that the base those planes flew out of didn't exist anymore. So again, they covered up the fact that we had air defenses in the air. Now, even if they weren't armed, they could have intercepted and they could have basically crashed into those planes and prevented them from hitting those buildings. Maybe the second one, first one, maybe not. But once it's clear at that point, how could they not defend Washington, D.C.? How come nobody asked the question, how could anything hit the Pentagon, let alone a guy who couldn't fly a Cessna? So I don't think these are unreasonable questions. I think as American taxpayers, we deserve to know where our money went and why nobody was held accountable. And I think as citizens of the world, this event dramatically changed the world you live in for the rest of your life. It will never be the same. You have a right to know why this has happened, why we're now in seven countries actively killing innocent people. This is not making us safer, in my opinion. Yeah, this, you know, again, this is an enormous complex event. If you just wanted to talk about the main characters, we could take days. If you want to talk about all the different moving pieces and federal agencies, they're the precedents that led up to this being possible, the cover up afterward. We could literally do this for weeks. I mean, that's how much we actually know that anybody viewing can verify for themselves with a little bit of effort. Yo, I think I think I need to watch Pocahontas now. Uh, um, I want to go back to the Pentagon, Mike. Um, yeah. And I really don't want to sound crazy, but since we're on the conversation, was it an airplane that hit the Pentagon? Yes. Yeah. Definitively, it was an airplane. Okay. That hit the Pentagon. So where was it? Uh, the parts yeah. are, for one, remember, the exterior had been reinforced with Kevlar, and they had put in bomb-proof windows. That plane was flying so close to the ground that it went. You can see the hole in the building where the where the tail hit the building as well. I'm trying to see if I've got one of these pictures up here for the Pentagon. Uh, it's ground zero. Um, but basically, they're on YouTube. There's, there's a guy who was part of the cleanup crew at the Pentagon who posted his own videos. I think after 15 years, there are less than a thousand views. He doesn't get a lot of views. Sure. Um, we, we, have, we have articles uh, pointing out the evidence for the plane, and that is something that different people in the movement are working on more prominently to make it absolutely clear. Um, 911speakout.org, I believe, is the website. I was just looking at some images that were adjusted by David Chandler and I believe Ken Jenkins. And it's the first time I've been able to actually see the plane in the footage. They changed the fisheye view to a, to a regular view. And if you look at it, you can see the plane in front of the gray smoke. The plane hit the building. Again, the whole notion that the plane didn't hit the building was to take your focus away from asking the legitimate question of how could anything hit the, def the United States Defense Establishment Headquarters an hour after we have known hijacked aircrafts that were flown into two towers in New York, 
and at least a dozen airborne flights that air traffic controllers couldn't communicate with. So why don't we ask, if this was such a sophisticated plot by Al-Qaeda, why did they kill the bean counters? Why didn't they just fly the plane into the National Military Command Center on the other side of the Pentagon and take out the top brass? Why would you go for the peons? I would say the same thing about New York, by the way. Why would you fly a plane, two planes down the Hudson to hit the World Trade Centers when you could have hit a nuclear plant 60 miles north of New York that nobody was defending? If you really wanted to cause mass casualties, take out a nuclear plant above New York. Now, by the time those planes hit the towers in New York, most people probably don't know this. People who work on Wall Street and lower Manhattan. Most of those people weren't at work yet. Those buildings were not fully occupied. If you listen to the original video from that day, uh, Mayor Giuliani said there could be as many as 10, 20,000 people who died in those buildings. 25 plus thousand people work there a day or more. So if this was supposed to be a massive attack, why would you minimize damage? That doesn't really sound like a foreign terrorist trying to maximize the impact of these events. And if you say it was all about uh, psychological symbolism, taking out the towers, the symbols of our financial strength and our military headquarters, again, doesn't that beg the question? How could anybody attack anything in D.C. after everybody has been alerted? How you're telling me they're uh, so you have Langley Air Force Base. Why weren't interceptors scrambled from Langley instead of Andrews? They changed the definition of the service of the base the day after 9-11 because uh, we have the screenshots. The base's definition before 9-11 was to protect and defend the airspace above P-56, which was Washington, D.C. The day after 9-11, the website changed to say it was a maintenance facility. Again, with real subpoena power and a real investigation, Yo. we might know answers nearly 20 years later. But we just don't know. Um. The official line from the government is that it was a terrorist attack, well-orchestrated attack from the Middle East, essentially, and it was planned over years. Yes. And that's it. And any any deviation from that means you're not a nut job. Look, when people started to question who the hijackers were, many of them, all right, five or six, had Florida addresses on their driver's license, even more telling, um, they had driver's license addresses from a military base on the west coast of Florida, which would imply that they were brought into the United States as intelligence assets. How could they have a physical address on a military base? Many of them trained in the United States on military bases prior to 9-11. Again, how would they have access? Their identities were conflated. Nobody, the 9-11 Commission, if you look at the, the picture there from uh, Walmart in Maine the day before 9-11, the government's never been able to explain why Mohammed Atta went to Maine and flew from Maine to Boston to get on the planes, almost missed his plane. They've never explained that. They've never been able to fully identify who the hijackers are. There's been a, quite a great legend built of who they were. 
there were trails left all over the United States to make it appear that they were here, but there's some really strange trails. Uh, Fox News reported an in-depth report that both the Mossad and the FBI had been following the hijackers living next to them in southern Florida, in D.C., outside D.C., all over the country. Many of these hijackers, rather than the alleged government claim of keeping a low profile like Mohammed Atta, rented a Cessna and tried to take off from Miami International Airport, couldn't get the plane off the ground, left it on the runway and walked away. Then there's a research of Daniel Hopsicker, who uh, went to the flying school in Venice after the event to try to understand what these hijackers were doing, uh, training in a little town in Venice, Florida. And oddly enough, he tracked down Atta's alleged American girlfriend and deposed her, who said that Atta had taken her to strip bars, had done cocaine, who drank alcohol, just like every good fanatic Muslim like the government told us. So who these men were, um, we really don't know. Mindy Kleinberg, one of the family members, in her testimony before the commission showed uh, the images of their visa applications. If anybody has ever tried to get a visa to come into the United States, when they ask you, what are you going to do for money? You can't, or where are you going to stay? You can't put house, friend. These, these visa applications were incomplete. And yes, and yet Atta was able to come into and leave the country and return multiple times with an expired visa. Those answers, we've never heard how that was possible. And most of them got their visas through the Jeddah consulate in Saudi Arabia, our great ally and friend. And a former uh, officer who worked for the State Department in that embassy in the 80s uh, when uh, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush was president, said that the consulate was run by the CIA because he was routinely told to approve visa applications that should have never been approved. So again, we don't know who the alleged hijackers are. Their identities were never fully confirmed. Colin Powell claimed he was Secretary of State at the time, said he would release a white paper right after 9-11 with the evidence that bin Laden was behind it. Never happened. All the way down the line, when you start to ask the really important questions that anybody should be asking. You get no answers, evasions, or just outright, outright lies. Uh, similarly, Atta had visited a home in Sarasota and the Broward Bulldog, a Florida paper, to intrepid reporters, uh, found out that uh, Atta's license plate, uh, they confirmed that Atta had been visiting a family there. They were Saudis. The family left just before 9-11, left food in the refrigerator, left cars in the driveway, and when the paper asked the FBI for the intel that they had on the Saudis, the FBI told them they had nothing. After years of going to court and suing, the, the judge finally threatened to hold the FBI in contempt of court because they kept saying they had nothing. And when the judge threatened them, they miraculously came up with 80,000 documents on this one house. So how did they know nothing? And yet on the morning of 9-11, this happens. And they were, the FBI showed up at the flight instructor, the San Diego flight instructor who worked with Hani Hanjour. They were at his house that day. Look, I think it's. For Hanjour's notebooks. 
I think it's obvious that it was it was clearly a terrorist attack and with thousands of coincidences happening. Yes. Yeah. Hey, look, it, it, it is a very complex series of events. Mm. And like you said, if you want to just follow one narrative alone, we'll have to spend a weekend to go yeah. over the evidence to present it. And this is part of the difficulty. In an hour, in two hours, mm. it can't well, be done. Well, there's one last incident now, and we don't we don't have sure. to spend much time on that. But it's the the, the plane that crashed that obviously wasn't a success. <laughs> uh, no, no, definitely not a success. And I, I still, I'm still not sure about whether that was shot down or not. I've received calls from eyewitnesses who saw an armed military jet flying below radar going towards Shanksville right before the plane crashed. I've received multiple calls years ago and emails from residents around Shanksville on the other side of a rather substantial hill who claimed that heavy objects were in their backyard that mm. could have never been blown their way. So it's, it's complicated. Uh, what's even more complicated is the pilot had military training of, of United 93 um, most people don't talk about this, but a guy who worked for United named Ed Ballinger, who worked at United headquarters, nobody at United told him what was going on in New York or that any planes were hijacked. He only found out from CNN. He tried to contact uh, upper management at United to get permission to ground all the flights. Nobody would communicate with him. He unilaterally decided to ground all of United's fleets, and he started text messaging uh, the cabins, which had a, a text message system, uh, texting pilots to bar the cockpit door. The pilot of 93, who had never received a message like that before, texted him back, can you confirm, Ed? And he texted back, beware of cockpit intrusion. So now I'm supposed to believe that these uh, military-trained pilots on United 93, who had forewarning that potential hijackers might try to break into the cockpit that uh, they're going to a let them in. They're not going to be able to squawk a hijack quote uh, code with their transponder when the alleged hijackers attempt to get in. And basically Ed Ballinger that day had a nervous breakdown. He describes uh, driving through red lights on his way home because basically nobody would listen to him. He unilaterally took action, and he probably saved a lot of lives. But that man is carrying around a lot of guilt because he knows things that he was never allowed to say publicly for whatever reason. I don't know what they were. This is what I was able to find on the public record from people he did speak with. Uh, but again, why 19 years later, nobody's, nobody's heard the name Ed Ballinger? Again, mm. Look it, look it up, B-A-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. There's another incident on the other coast with Atta. When he goes to the airport in Maine, there's a gate agent who was interviewed by uh, Paul Lazan on CNN. His name is Tui. And you can see here uh, Atta and Alamari going through uh, security. But this is, uh, I believe, in Maine, not in Boston. So they go through security. What was odd about Tui's story was that he said, uh, you know, I told the FBI that when he got to the counter, 
he wasn't wearing the same outfit that they show in the security footage. And he was so late that he almost missed the flight. He asked me to give him his boarding pass for the Boston leg of his flight. And I had to tell him uh, that that was on a different airline, that I couldn't give him that boarding pass. So again, nobody in the commission has ever been able to explain why Atta left from Maine instead of Boston and nearly missed his flight, left his Koran and luggage in the car. Um, mm. You know, absolutely, that's what all absent-minded terrorists do. They leave behind the evidence for you to find it. Um, so, you know, we... This many years later, we actually uh, know at least how much we really don't know. And again, I challenge the people who are watching your show. Your show is all about getting to the truth. It's, it's there for you to find, but you have to dig. And you have to question. Question everything I'm saying as well. Yeah. Um, you know, verify. You know, Ronald Reagan said uh, about the Russian... Uh, nuclear agreement, trust but verify, right? I'm not asking for your trust. I'm just asking for you verify. If you want to know what happened, if you want to make a better future, um, you have to begin with what is. You can't begin with living in a in a nightmare or a fantasy, because yeah. then whatever you change is no connection to reality. All right. Well, this is now the the question that has probably been asked the most. Um, if I look at right. the comments and uh, I was dreading this, but here we go. Why? Well, I, I think um, I find that to be the most ironic question, especially uh, with the world we live in now. Uh, for one, like I said, 9-11 covered up a great many other financial and other kinds of crimes. Two, uh, look at the amount of money from taxpayers' pockets that has been spent without any accountability, without any audit. I believe the last time the Pentagon announced an audit, they're up to $7 trillion of unaccounted funds. And yet we're told that Americans can't have health care like every other democracy in the world. We can't afford it. Um, power. The people who run the country, the people who allow us to choose amongst the choice they give us during elections, have accumulated a great deal of power without any accountability. Um, whistleblowers are now jailed, thanks to President Obama, uh, not pardoned like Snowden and many, many others who exposed uncomfortable truths like torture that was justified by 9-11. 9-11 has been used to justify every depraved act this country has engaged in since 9-11, from torture to bombing innocent civilian weddings in Afghanistan, killing children accidentally, the amount of money that we spend on defense is astronomical, and it's unquestioned. Uh, while the Democrats in, a, in an election cycle rail against President Trump and claim whatever things they claim, that hasn't stopped them from giving him as much money or more than he's asked for for defense spending. And nobody, again, has ever been held accountable. Obama came into office and what was one of the first things he told us? We're not going to look backwards. Some folks did some things they shouldn't have done. They tortured people. That's right, not really who we are. Um, really. 
we still have people sitting in Guantanamo Bay who have never been tried who are probably innocent, many of them, whose lives have been destroyed. Look at the number of Americans who joined the military out of patriotism because they earnestly believed that we had been attacked by a foreign power. So when it comes to foreign policy, spending, priorities, uh, like right now, during a pandemic, where, where are the alleged progressives who are standing up for people to have health care? Where are the members of Congress who want to allot the money? They're very mm. quick to bail out banks like they did in 07, like they did in 01, and like they did now. The first bailouts went to the multimillionaires and large mega corporations. They bought off the rest of the country with a $1,200 check and a couple of months of $600 payments of unemployment. And then they let it all expire right before an election, which really tells you that they hold you in contempt. They don't care about you. They don't even think you're, you know, they assume they have your vote. That's part of the problem. When you have two choices of uh, people who are in their 70s to run this country, and you look at the issues, at least in the United States right now that we have with young people, uh, their inability to get high enough wage jobs to start families, buy homes, go on vacation and live like a middle class, which the United States used to have, which has been entirely disassembled in the last 50 years. These are all products and consequences of 9-11. 9-11 in itself is a symptom of a crumbling empire. We have over a thousand military bases around the world. How the hell can we continue to afford this? It's a good question. But the only way we can continue to afford it is to have a really strong military to make sure that our empire doesn't dissolve. From where I'm sitting, it looks like it's dissolving before our eyes. Um, in my opinion, we look pretty weak uh, foreign policy-wise. And we don't have a political class that seems to care at all about the suffering of Americans or other people, but it's their job to actually care about the people who they allegedly represent. Um, and I mean, I could, I, if you want to, I don't know how much time you want to go, but I mean, I can give you another yeah, direct. Yeah. Okay. So Carolyn, Representative Carolyn Maloney, of course, she's still in Congress, a Democrat representing lower district in Manhattan. She has a weird shaped district. Uh, I was in Manhattan, uh, was during the Iraq war, which again, we were lied to and manipulated into that war. They never found weapons of mass destruction. And again, Never were any consequences for that. But I uh, went to a town hall meeting she held, and she had told, I had mentioned uh, John Joyce, who was a trainer for the fire department, who was given uh, radios prior to 9-11 to go test. And he tested them in an open field in Queens, and they didn't work. And when he went back to his boss at the fire department and said, you know, I'll write up the report, uh, these radios don't work, he was told, uh, don't write the report. The radios were already purchased. This was an illegal contract deal with uh, Rudolph Giuliani's administration and Motorola. The radios that the fire department had did not work in the towers. Only Port Authority had put repeaters in the towers, so their radios worked. Uh, some transmissions got through, as I mentioned earlier, the two firefighters who were marathon runners who got up to the top of the South Tower. Their transmissions got through, 
but not a, not everybody's transmissions got there. <coughs> anyway, the point of all of this was they issued these radios. Within a week, a firefighter got trapped in a building, called out for Mayday for help. Uh, his chief and people outside the building didn't hear him, but a crew responding from a mile away heard him. And when they got there, they told the chief he had a guy trapped in the basement. They got him out and the union flipped. And the chief of the fire department withdrew these brand new radios. So they went into the towers with 25 plus year old radios. So uh, Joyce was asked by the family members if he would investigate this. And he was able to get documentation out of Motorola engineers that they knew these radios didn't work. Um, But Joyce, you know, again, people don't know any of this anymore. Yeah. It's all it's all been forgotten. I kind of got lost here. No, no, (laughs) it's fine. I was going with it. Um, But, oh, Carolyn Maloney. So Joyce had asked Carolyn Maloney, representing the families, if she would hold hearings just on the Motorola radios. Again, not a conspiracy. He had the documentation from within Motorola, from from within the company. And Maloney and the Democrats promised them that if they took the majority in Congress, they would hold hearings because with the Republicans in control, they weren't willing to hold the hearings. By the time I saw her at this town hall meeting in New York, the Democrats had the majority. So I asked her on camera, you know, you talked to John Joyce, you promised the family members you would hold hearings about the Motorola radio contracts. When can we expect you to hold these hearings? And what do you think Carolyn said? We're not going to hold these hearings. Yeah. So she looked the family members in the eyes, told them to their face, promised if they gave her their vote. And then when she got the position and the vote and the majority, the Democrats blew off the family. So here's the thing. These people are not accountable yeah. to us. And they, it's a- do not, they do not feel afraid of us. They expect to get our votes. Something has to change if you want a different future. So what you're saying is that a lot of it is about power and control and money. Yeah, I think more power than money, but you know, the money, the money doesn't hurt. It's a perk. Jeez. Listen, I've got to tell you, my brain is fried. This is this. It's it. I'm I'm guessing it's not something that you can fit into 90 minutes. But my goodness me. Um, yeah, it reminds me of that scene from The Matrix. He says, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of a good way to bring it to an end. Right. You got to decide which pill you want to take. You can go back to sleep and wake up and everything will be the way it was. Yeah, But know that if you choose the other pill, you're going to see a landscape <clears throat> that you've spent a lot of emotional and psychological energy avoiding. And you'll also find, like, for example, um, it's, it's emotionally and mentally challenging to look at things that are this dark. It's very dark, yeah. But again, I come back to the notion that this is an inside job. You have to decide yourself if you want to shine light on truth or you want to live in darkness. Each of us has to make that as a personal choice every day. We don't make that choice consciously. What I'm hoping you do after you hear some of these points is that some of them interest you enough to follow up. But ask yourself, are you emotionally and psychologically capable of handling the darkness? Because I can tell you right now, as you've pointed out many times during the interview, 
just being labeled a conspiracy theorist for even bringing this up for some people is too much to handle. And living with this kind of darkness, that is very difficult to find people who actually want to hear it. Um, you really have to reach people where they are. This mm. cannot be shoved down people's throat. It's not like you're preaching the evangel, right? You, you, you take, if there's an opening and somebody's interested and you have the facts, then you can give them to them. But otherwise, my opinion is you have to wait for people to want to take that pill, to want to wake up from the nightmare, the reality that is a nightmare. In fact, one of my favorite authors was named Robert Anton Wilson. He had written a screenplay, and the title of the screenplay was Reality is What You Can Get Away With. Mm. And I find that to be a pretty good, uh, useful summation of what happens when you start to look at these things. So the big why question is, you have to imagine that these events had to be in the planning stages for years. This could not have been put together overnight. People in different parts of government, I mean, look, look at the backgrounds of Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. They cut their teeth in the Nixon administration they were single-handedly, according to the BBC Power of Nightmares, for example, a series that was on, uh, single-handedly responsible for extending the Cold War, for challenging the CIA when the CIA had put out a report in the 70s saying, claiming that, uh, that we had won the Cold War, the Soviet Union had been defeated, and Cheney and Rumsfeld came up with an idea, and they may have used it again for 9-11, which was, uh, or, or the Iraq War, weapons of mass destruction in particular, they had claimed that the CIA had failed to detect this new class of Russian weapon that was a greater threat. They advised that we needed to increase military and defense spending. By the way, the same group of people a year before 9-11 were known as the Project for a New American Century. Jeb Bush, all the neocons had signed a, a paper about uh, rebuilding America def America's defenses and in it specifically, they state American populace will not tolerate a massive increase in defense spending without something like a new Pearl Harbor. On 9-11, they got their new Pearl Harbor. And we now live with the consequences of not challenging that power, of not holding people accountable for answers to basic questions that we all should know the answers to. And I, and I want to reiterate this, but there are thousands of experts who, who, who question the official story. This is not just some guy sitting on Skype thinking, thinking of, of, of uh, 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 Red Pill type uh, scenarios. There are structural engineers around the world with, with heavy, with heavy um, uh, resumes well, and I, you know, to that point, the National Institute of Standards and Technologies would not release the data from their computer models for outside academics or engineers to test. Again, University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, Engineering, they created the models and they demonstrate there is no possible way that the buildings could have collapsed from fires and impacts alone. They had to have explosives pre-planted. There, yeah. you know, you you either again, you either believe what your eyes see, 
or you don't. This I, vi- I, I, I don't have a stake in what you believe. There's a video that I saw of um, about 100 different eyewitness accounts on the day who said that they heard explosions. Oh, in the oral histories that the New York Times published, uh, you have people who were comparing the explosives and describing the flashes going up the building. There's yeah. a clip of firefighters in the firehouse saying, oh, you know, it was like a boom, 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 boom. Yes, the, bo- the, like the boom, boom, boom thing. I've heard that, yeah. Right? So, yeah, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. There was no shortage of people who witnessed explosions. There were people hurt by the explosions in the buildings. Again, in the sub-basements, 80 floors below where the planes impacted, there's no possible way with that baffle system that those fireballs that came down were the ones that shattered the marble in the lobby of the building and took out concrete walls, imploded them in the sub-basements. There were pre-planted explosions. And in fact, I just found an old clip from 2005 that I had saved. Uh, This was a reporter for USA Today who was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, later was fired from USA Today for allegedly making up his stories. Uh, His name is Jack Kelly. And on the morning, it was at 5 o'clock at 9-11, he's being interviewed and he's saying... uh, The FBI has just said that there was either cars or trucks packed with explosives that were detonated when the planes hit the buildings. Now, I don't know what to make of Mr. Kelly. Uh, He has a checkered career as a journalist after being kind of one of the top guys at USA Today. You need to listen to him in his own words on that day, and you need to ask himself, where the heck he got all the data he's spouting. Yeah. Um, one, one could surmise from what you're hearing that he's very well connected in intelligence circles because one of the other little bombshells he drops is that he had, quote, sat down <clears throat> with bin Laden's people in Dubai. Well, we know that the CIA had visited bin Laden, who was getting dialysis treatment, who wasn't in a cave at the time right before 9-11. And um, I don't know if he's hinting he was in the room, but he certainly seems to be. And bin Laden was offered to the United States by the Taliban even before 9-11 to the Clinton administration, to the Bush administration. Anyway, there's much more here. It's it goes crazy. much deeper. Yeah, and it's... It, is, it is crazy. And, and one more thing. People ask why, and then the other question is, how could they keep it a secret? Which is a fair question. Uh, but you know about the plans to develop a nuclear bomb nobody knew. Um, there were actually a, a few um, military bases in the United States where German scientists were brought back and interrogated to try to get information for our nuclear programs. And they're now uh, national parks. And one of the park rangers had no idea that he was taking people on a tour of what used to be a secret military base. And one of the people in his tour had told him that he was stationed there and that he interrogated Germans. And that park ranger took it on himself to find other people who had worked there. So in other words, for 70 years, those men, many of whom lived less than 20 miles away from each other, it turns out now, never spoke to each other, never spoke about it again. Nobody ever knew it took place. So when people say nobody in government can keep a secret, where's the $2.3 trillion? Where's the $7 trillion that they now estimate that's gone? 
That seems to be a pretty well-kept secret. There are plenty of ways they can yeah. keep secrets. Just because you may not be able to keep one doesn't mean they can't. Mike, I've had you now for quite a lot longer than, than you had you had promised. Um, I've got to tell you, yeah. this is a phenomenal conversation. We could be here till next week. It's uh, true. But my ears are getting itchy from my from my earphones. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, plus you definitely need to pour another glass. Oh no! I, listen, I don't think I'm going to sleep tonight. I think uh, my oh no, my brain's my brain's wired. Like just uh, <laughs> you've uh, you've you've got my mind going into overdrive now, and I think you've it's done the same. Massive, massive download. You know, it is. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's an unbelievable amount of data to try. People to- want to go and. Just firstly, look, they can. The videos are all over the internet. Uh, there are so many testimonies all over the internet. There are so many engineers, so many experts, so many people all over the world who've investigated this for years. This isn't some fringe um, conspiracy theory. This is this is a large, large group of people around the world who want to know, uh, is that official story legit? Because, uh, I don't know, it doesn't look... It doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. Well, I'll tell up. you, we've got almost more than 3,000 articles at our website. Our website mm. goes back to 2004. Yeah. It's been continuously published since then. Mm. So there's an awful lot of information that you probably aren't going to find in other places. And um, I also would recommend History Commons website, which has the 9-11 timeline where you can actually go through the events leading up to during and after 9-11, quite literally minute by minute. And it links to the mainstream articles, mainstream media sources for every entry. Highly recommended as well. If you're a serious researcher and you want to know what really Mm. happened, um, please take a look take a look at some of the resources we have and the other sites that we link to and you'll get solid information that you can verify objectively but before you do that go and watch some bugs bunny cartoons oh please <laughs> mike it's been yeah, a- I mean, it t- takes a certain amount of stamina and uh and strength to be able to do this and you're right i mean it 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 is overwhelming so mm. take it slowly and take it easy Thank you so much uh, for your time, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.